This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. It's a bit unusual for from the type of messages I have normally delivered. But I hope it's a message, and I believe it's a message that's appropriate in many ways for all of us. And I want to look at working in partnership with God. That's the title of my message tonight. You know, God has a a plan for our lives. He's got a purpose for our lives. We heard this morning how God places value on us all as individuals and how he sees us in a way that we can't understand, that we can't grasp, that we struggle to because we know all our feelings. And he knows our feelings, but still he places value on us. He, He sees us as something worthy of the life of his son. And that's something that, 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 sh- that really is just, we need to remember that every day. God, God values us in a ways that we don't understand. And just like a, a loving heavenly father, he has plans for our lives. He's got purposes for our lives. He's got things that he wants us to do, things that he needs us to do, things that he wants us to do for him. And it's important that we understand a little bit about what that is. And just set a framework the way I look at when, when we talk about God having a, a purpose for our lives. I look at it very much in the way you would look at a father. You know, here's Ferns looking at Aaliyah. And he's got plans for her life. You know, he's got, you know, she's going to grow up. I mean, she's gorgeous as it is, you know, but he wants her to grow up and be really intelligent and to go to a good school and to have really good friends and, and to go on in life and to progress. You know, it's a wee bit old school and, and it's maybe in another part of the, another other countries where they're a bit more traditional, where they plan out life, where they want they, their children to go. Oh, I want them to grow up and, and become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that there. And they think of their, their, their kids in, in terms of those, and they make plans for it in their heads sometimes, and sometimes they actually do things to, to push them along the path that they want them to go. And that's the way I sometimes think of God's plans for our lives. There's an element where God has a big master plan. He's got a plan for our lives individually. And when I talk plans, I, I don't want us to get too scared with that, for that, that word, because there's a lot of baggage with it. But God's got things that, plans that he wants to, for us things that he wants to do through us and to us. He wants to use us in ways for his kingdom and for our development. He wants to develop us into the people he knows that we can be. He doesn't just save us and leave us sitting on a shelf. He wants to work on us, to develop our character, to develop our faith, develop our spiritual life with him. And in that way, he's got plans for us to then proceed to grow up. We don't hear an awful lot about that as Christians growing up in the faith, maturing in the faith. We sometimes get stuck at a point which, quite frankly, sometimes we get stuck at a point which is immature. You know, Paul spoke to the church and he says, I can't feed you meat because you're still immature. I have to keep feeding you milk. And God wants us to grow up, to develop, to, be, to get the, 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 the chewers in, the molars in, you know, not just to drink milk all the time. So I look at the plans that God has for us are to develop us, develop us as individuals, develop us corporately, and develop us as uh, the people of God, and to develop his work in this place, develop his mission on this earth. God could very easily have saved us, have delivered us from the kingdom of darkness, translated us immediately into the kingdom of light, and that's it, poof, we're gone. But he didn't do that because he's got a greater work to do. He's got something he wants us to do. Now that work, very simply, could be starting with, he wants us to, to know his word. He wants us to pray with him and have a communion relationship with him. He wants us to corporately gather together so that we can rub off all the rough parts and we can corporately come under that anointing that God has at this place where we can share and we can praise God as his people. Amen. There's things like that's simple. That's the simple steps of God's plan for our lives. Now we can go on beyond that and we can look at times where God wants us then to maybe 
take someone out for dinner and encourage them, where maybe he wants us to, to buy someone a suit of clothes to, to encourage them, or maybe he wants us to, do, to, to go on the mission field, or maybe he wants to go on a short-term mission, or maybe he wants us to go to women's aid or something. You know, those are the steps that we go on, and God leads us in his purposes. But he can't lead us in his purposes if we won't start with the simple things. We've got to start with step one, two, and three before we jump to step five. We can't just expect to suddenly arrive and then this is it. God's going to tell me exactly what he wants me to do and this is it. It's going to be wonderful. Well, hang on. You're not spending any time in his word. You're not getting that word down deep inside of you so that you can discern when he's speaking to you. You're not spending any time praying with him, pouring out your heart to him that you can hear and listen and be sensitive to the spirit. So how can we expect to be led by the spirit if we can't even spend time with the spirit? And there's important that we grasp that and we understand that. And that's all encompasses in what we, when I talk about God leading us and God guiding us and God's plan for our lives, it's all encompassed in that. The story of the prodigal son demonstrates that, that, that a life that is led in rebellion to what the father wanted. The father didn't want him to go off into a foreign country and, and to waste his inheritance. He didn't want him to spend time in the pig pen. He had a plan. He had an idea. He had a, a hopes and desires for his life, but he wanted to go and do it his way. Eventually, he did come back to the path. He did come back under his father's household. And that too can be sometimes with our lives where we can do that, where we can go off and do our own things and we get caught up in things and we can, we can come back to what God wants us to do. So we can wander in and out of God's purposes at times, but it is so much better. It is so much better for us and for the kingdom of God if we can come into line with what God wants us to do and walk in it. Our lives will be so much happier, so much more fulfilled, so much more at peace, so much more at ease with our friends and our neighbors, spiritually speaking, if we are walking in God's purposes for us. You, and that's sort of really, that's the, the, the crux, that's the overarching uh, image of what I'm, what I'm starting with tonight. As I said, it's, I want to talk about working in partnership with God. So God has got this mighty plan. He's got this mighty plan for creation and for our lives. And he wants to be involved in our lives. He wants to be involved in his plan for our lives. He didn't just sort of give us an idea and leave it. He, he wants to be involved. He wants us to come together. And when the people of God gather together and get involved in what God has got planned for us, then mighty things happen. Miracles happen. People are set free. People are delivered. God is a good God. Now, if you have your Bible with you, if you could turn to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 10. I believe the scriptures bear out over and over again this idea that God wants to work in partnership with people. And in this story here, we've got a fascinating story. It really is. It's, it's remarkable in many ways. Joshua chapter 10, and I'm going to read the first 13 verses. It says in verse number one, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king. So he had done to Ai and its king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities. And because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty, therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhai, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon. That's how I'm pronouncing it for anyone else who pronounces it differently. That's your choice. <laughs> uh, and he contacted them saying, verse 4, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua to, at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. 
So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came uh, upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck uh, and struck them down at Azekah and. Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent to Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiel, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than from the children of Israel killed with the sword. Verse 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day uh, when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajon. Um, so the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. And we'll just finish it there. I know it's a long story and it's a long reading there, but what has happened before this event is that the children of Israel have come into the promised land. They've obviously had their great victory at, at Jericho. They've had the, the, the muck-up, if we put it that way, at Ai, and they've moved on. Gibeon, hearing, hearing of Israel's success and of their uh, events at Jericho and Ai, and maybe even, we can assume, maybe even hearing of them, their deliverance from Egypt, maybe, I'm not saying they did, but maybe they did, they heard all those things and they went, these people are mighty. We have to watch these people. We have to do something with it. We have to make peace with these people. So they made a cunning plan and they, they sent some of their men some of their leaders, their diplomats, the diplomatic corps was press ganged into operation. They were dressed in rags to make it look like they traveled a great distance. They threw uh, cloth over their horses to look like the horses had traveled a big distance or their camels or whatever. And they, they intercepted the children of Israel and, and they claimed to be travelers from a foreign land. And Israel said, well, we need our neighbors outside of the promised land to be allies. We'll, we'll make a pact with you and we'll protect you and, and you can protect us and all the rest. And they said, ah, oh, great, that's our town there. So they had deceived them. They had led them, led them on a merry chase and convinced them they were from far away. But as the people of God, they honored the pact. They respected them. They went, okay, we, we've made a pact with you. What's done is done and that's enough. And that's a fascinating story whenever you look into it. So here we have the surrounding kings, the kings of the Amorites, it calls them. These were five great cities, uh, you know, that had great armies. They were respected by all the, the smaller cities. And then they've decided to attack and decided to come to uh, punish the turncoats. And I'm going to look through a couple of verses and just highlight a few wee things. On verse number two there that I read, and it says that they feared greatly because... Uh, Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai. So the, these five Amorite kings feared greatly. They feared the sweeping influence of the children of Israel. They feared the fact that one of these mighty cities, it actually says that the men were mighty men, and that they had turned to ally themselves with Israel, and they began to feel apprehensive. These five Amorite kings felt fear. They felt fear at what was coming, the impending invasion of their cities. You know, it's a far cry from how we feel in this day and age as the people of God. We are the ones often who are told or who experience fear. We feel apprehension whenever we, we make a stand upon God's word. Whenever we, we call out something that's in the Bible or we, we stand upon the word and we say God is a good God and we, we say God loves everyone. And whenever we, do, we stand as God's people in this day and age, more increasingly and increasingly in the next couple of days, we find ourselves being apprehensive, being unsure of ourselves, being in fear. But that's not the way it should be. We shouldn't be the ones who are walking in fear. In this story, it is the enemies of the people of God. It is the enemies of God who are the ones who are in fear. They are the ones who are, know what is coming. They know how the mighty city of Jericho has fallen. They know how the cunning uh, attack plan of the children of Israel managed to capture Ai. They know what is coming and they know the future. And they're the ones in fear. 
Sometimes I think we need reminders of who we serve and of who God is. We need to be reminded that God is a big God, that God is a mighty God. We have somehow reduced him to only to to the act of salvation. And, And that's enough for him. At his age... After all these eons of time, he's semi-retired and he can just about manage to save us. That's not the God I serve. God is a mighty God. He's a big God. God is powerful and he's on our side. God is a big God. He is able to change any circumstance that we're going through. He's able to shut the mouths of a lion. He's able to break the chains that hold us. He's able to set us free and deliver us. He's a mighty God. He's a powerful God. And we need to be reminded of that. And if we walked in that confidence that we know the God of the universe, you know, I'm not talking arrogance. I'm I'm talking confidence. You know, he lifted me up from the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. What sort of rock did he set your feet on? Was it a solid rock? It was a sure rock and unchanging. In Matthew 10, Jesus talking says, Fear not them which can kill the body, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul. This is a big God, a powerful God. The world is very, very happy when we walk around unsure of ourselves. It's very happy when we're unsure of our God, whenever we become unsure of what the Bible actually says. It's very happy whenever we have doubts and insecurities. In this day and age, when everything is changing so quickly, and everything that was sure says about everything that is shaken will be shaken. And this is the days when everything is unsure and fluid and moving. And we're even talking about so many other things that are fluid and are moving. You know, and we should be the people who are standing firm and sure. And I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking arrogance. We're talking people who are confident. You know, I know who laid the foundations of this world. Glory to God. I know whose name I bear. Praise the Lord. We should have a confidence. And you know what? Things can happen around us. Businesses, work, all the rest can happen and fall apart all around us. But we should be the people who are confident, assured that, you know what? No matter what, he promised he's going to look after me. He's promised that he's going to take care of everything I face. What have I got to fear? We should be that sort of people. The children of Israel at this point were moving in the promises and purposes of God. It doesn't actually say that God told them. If you read it, it doesn't actually say that God told them to make a pact with Gibeon. It doesn't actually say that God told them to make, uh, to honor the pact. You were deceived, arguably. They could have got out of it. But they're still walking in, uh, uh, they're walking upright before God. God has told them this whole land is yours. They didn't have enough. There wasn't enough of them to occupy the whole land. But God's told them, this land's yours. Go ahead. Go at it. So now they're moving on and they're moving. And God's actually blessing them, looking after them. So it's important that we're moving on in faith and confidence and purpose. And at that time, then the world will learn, will fear us. And I don't mean fear us in the sense that they're scared. But you know what I mean? Verse number four, it actually comes on to, out of that, they, they, they're in fear. And what does the next, verse four say? Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon. So Adonai Zedek, ironically, whose name means uh, Lord of Righteousness, they believe that he was from Jerusalem and they believe that that might have been, you know, Salem where Melchizedek, who was the king of righteousness, obviously just a title that meant nothing to, to this man. But he said, come up with me and let us attack. And you ask the way, they, that's the way the world will work. Anytime that we get confidence or a bit of assurance in the word, oh, I know this verse definitely stands for this. I know that God definitely means this for my life. Anytime we stand up and say, yes, you know what? It's very unpopular to say that everyone's a sinner. Anytime we get up and say something as, as plain black and white as that, the world attacks. It doesn't like it. It fears it. It gets apprehensive. Oh no, are they getting, are they getting a bit of confidence? Are they getting a bit of an assurance in some sort of, oh, I don't know about this. And what are they going to do? They're attacking. They attack out of their fear. And often that happens to us. We would encounter opposition because of 
out of fear that they have towards us as the people of God. And what did they attack? They didn't attack Israel directly. They attacked Gibeon. They attacked their ally. And that's it, the sneak attack. They came in through the, the side door in order to cause disruption, in order to cause fear, in order to cause the other cities who might ally themselves with Israel to then take a second. Oh, I might, mm, I don't know if we can do that. Look at that, they were destroyed. So God wants to, you know, so the enemy was coming along to, to, to smite them, attack them out of fear. The fear sometimes whenever that we encounter, the attacks that we encounter is a fear of the loss of reputation, the fear of the righteousness of God, the fear of the, the commandments of God, fear of that idea that there is a God. They, they will fight every aspect that they can in order to ignore it, in order to keep it far away from them. And it's also important to know that the, the enemy doesn't attack people who are failures. The enemy doesn't attack people who are just sitting going, okay, I've put in the Jews this weekend and that's me till another week. These are people who are walking in the promises of God and the purposes of God. People who are walking in relationship with God. People who are seeking God. Verse number eight, we're getting through this very quickly. Verse number eight says, and the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Praise the Lord. That's what you need to hear. That's what you need to hear. Whenever things, the enemy starts attacking, when things start to go wrong, you need to hear, I'm with you. I haven't left you alone. And you know what? We need to hear it. We need to be reminded that God is with us that God is for us, that he hasn't abandoned us, that he hasn't left things to, to, to just spin out of control, that God is with us every day of life, every situation, circumstance we might go through this week, God is with us. It says in the Bible, let's, let's, you know, let, me, let me give you a few verses just to help you, just to encourage us. A few verses, here we go. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We haven't been forsaken tonight. 31 verse 8. The Lord himself goes before you and he will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is with us. Joshua 1 verse 5, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Glory to God. Why does he have to keep telling us? Why does the scriptures have to continually tell the people of God, do not fear? Why does God continually have to tell us that I will never leave you nor forsake you? It has to keep telling us because our natural instinct, our natural response is to forget those things. We're like goldfish swimming in a bowl. Oh, look, there's a wee castle. I'll swim into the castle. Oh, look, wonder what's out there. Swims out there. Oh, look, there's a castle. I'll swim back into the castle. And we forget. We need to be reminded of these things. We need to be stirred up and reminded that God has not forsaken us. He hasn't abandoned us. We obviously, it hasn't sunk in because I'm not hearing enough amens. <laughs> First Chronicles 28, 20. David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Okay, Psalm 37, verse 28. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful, faithful ones. They will be protected forever. <laughs> Glory to God. That's it, come on. Isaiah 41, 17. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Glory to God. We haven't been forsaken. Glory to God. He's with us. I'm always very worried about those there, you know, God on our side, God with us. We should be on his side, yes. But you know what? He hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's with us. He's involved. You might not see it. You might not hear it, but he's there. Glory to God. 
Isaiah 42, 16, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. There are things I will do. I will not forsake them. Glory to God. Oh, it's so wonderful to know that we haven't been forsaken, that he's still there for us that he's still walking along with us. He might have given us a dream, given us a vision, given us a, a path to walk along, and we might not have known anything happening as the children of Israel have been led into the promised land. Now go at it. And we want that constant reassurance, the constant uh, you know, reassurance that, oh, this is the way, keep walking in it. This is the way, keep walking in it. But God's not like that. Yes, he comes along in, in times of need. And yes, he'll encourage us. But you know what? He wants us to be mature. He wants us to remember what he has told us, to hold on to it and to walk in confidence in that, knowing that he will not leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Hebrews 13, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Glory to God. You know, I might go home tonight and I might feel all alone, all alone. When you turn out the lights and you hear that wind howling along and you might feel like nobody cares, but I can tell you, he's promised that he will not leave you nor forsake you. He is with you. He is only a prayer away. Glory to God. Glory to God. Isn't that something to rejoice in tonight? Isn't that something to celebrate, to have confidence in, to have a, a firm, our feet firmly planted on that God has not forsaken us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. No matter, no matter what the enemy we face, no matter what the problem we face, he is with us. You know, if the children of Israel had understood that, had they had grasped that, they would have been into the promised land 40 years earlier. That a lot would have changed if they had understood that, if they had taken that on board. Spurgeon said, the fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears away. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Verse 9. We're getting through this rightly now. Verse 9. It says, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly. Glory to God. Message received and message understood. And he's charging off. Yes, he had started to move before this. Then God spoke to him and then he went right full speed ahead. Charge. You know, this is no, this is no mean feat. This isn't something that was just, uh, just down the road. You know, he has led his men of war on a distance of 20 miles up an altitude of 3,300 feet, roughly. Probably would have taken eight to 10 hours hard marching. Now, this isn't like, isn't like the movies, you know, where they get on the horse and they seem to be riding, chasing the Indians for an hour. You know, realistically, anyone who rides horses knows you can't ride a horse flat out for an hour. And just like the, the mighty men of war couldn't march flat out for eight to 10 hours and then fight a battle unless, unless they had been in a gym. <coughs> and they were in the gym of the wilderness, wilderness gym. Forget it, Jim, Kathy. This is the gym we need to go to here. The wilderness gym. It taught them, it, it built into them. Uh, everything it was teaching them, it was actually building into them strength and stamina and tenacity and determination. And they were learning in other ways. And I said, it's wonderful. They got the message. God told them, confirmed to them, I'm with you and I'm going to defeat them. And then they did was they went, right, let's go. You know, we need that spirit. God gives us, gives us a confirmation. He gives us a word, gives us a verse. He tells you, he lays something on your heart. You know, God's got a wonderful way of laying things on our hearts. You read the book of Nehemiah. He burdened Nehemiah. He laid it on our hearts. He knows us. He knows what way to work with us. And whenever he does, you know what? Get in there. Get stuck in. Charge. Why hold back? What have you got to lose? Go for it. God is a good God. Joshua knew full well how fear could take hold of people's hearts and minds, how fear could grip our feet, hands, and voice, preventing us from going, helping, and speaking. He knew full well the consequences of delay. He knew full well the consequences of dragging your feet. I'm going to get there. Let's go help them. That's not what he did. He went, as soon as he heard from God, he went, let's go suddenly. Let's charge. Let's move fast. 
You remember Joshua and Caleb were one of the spies who went into the land in the early days, 40 years previous. They were one of the spies who had gone out and sought out and found out what was going on. He had been there. He knew the, not only the topography of the land, but he knew the mental condition that people would be in, how fear would attack the mind and the heart and how things would breed. So they had came back with a grip. On, they, they had a grip on God, Joshua and Caleb, before they went. They understood that God was with them and that they hadn't been forsaken. They understood what their position was as the people of God, as the people of promise. The 10 other people who went with him, they didn't. They had no understanding of it. They had no concept that God was with them. They didn't appreciate that God was going to be with them every step of the way. And they allowed that fear, doubt, and unbelief to kill them. That fear, doubt, and unbelief killed them and their children. There's a consequence. There's a consequence to fear and doubt and unbelief. When God has given us a plan and a path, when God has got something he wants us to do, there's a consequence if we don't do what God wants us to do. There is a consequence. Not just for us, but for those around us. Because we'll find that we will spiritually, we will spiritually suffer. And those around us will pick up on that. In those days, what happened to them? They died. They died and their children died. Their children paid for their mistakes. They fed fear, maybe through their conversations, through their imaginations, through the things that could happen and could not happen. And what can I do and what can I not do? Remember they said actually that we were as grasshoppers in their eyes, talking about the giants in the land. They allowed that their fear to manifest, manifest itself in that way, to, to, to visualize it in that way. They obviously didn't, didn't know that God had told Joshua no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I can, I'm not going to read those verses again, but they didn't understand that. You know, that fear and apprehension, doubt, doubt in God's ability to, to meet our needs, doubt in God's ability or willingness to be with us and be involved in our lives, those things can, can, can cause us to, to, to hold back. And scriptures talk about halting between two opinions. Will I go for what God has told me or will I, will I rest in my comfort zone and, and with, my, with my insecurities? It's like I used to be indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> so we have to make a decision, sometimes daily, who is worth trusting? Who keeps their word? Who has the ability to do what they've said they're going to do? And what have they said? You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the enemies of Israel, in this case as well, were convinced, continually telling them, you're limited. This is all you have. This is all you can do. This is all you have in the bank. This is all you're going to get at the end of this month in your paycheck. This is all the hours you have. This is all the friends you have. This is all, this is all, this is all. Limit, 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 limit. Bringing us down to the point where we become obsessed with our own limit, limitedness. And I want to encourage us. Do not let our limitedness limit God's limitlessness. I'm not going to say that again. No, I Do not let your limitedness limit God's limitlessness. God's, God's a big God. He's a big God. He really is. Really. There's no other God. He's the biggest. He is. That's why he's God. Because there's no one bigger. If God tells you to do something or lays something on your heart, do it. Pray, seek God, seek wise counsel. Pastor here knows, you know, seek people to, to confirm things for you, encourage you, guide you a little bit. But you know what? If God lays something on your heart, if it's something simple, like texting someone in the church a, a word of encouragement, I don't think, I think I'm, I think I'm okay in saying this, but, but you know, you don't have to have a, a you know, a, a, go on a fast for a week to see whether this is of God. 
you know, oh, I really felt this verses for some, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, you, you know, you know, I'm not saying we all get carried away in things, but you know what I mean? If you if God, God, God lays it on your heart to encourage someone, encourage them. It's good to encourage people. If God lays it on your heart to take someone out for lunch, do that. If God lays it on your heart to give someone a Pentecostal handshake, I'll be at the back door later. <laughs> you know, if God does that in your life, if God wants you to walk in a path, do it. Walk. What's the worst that can happen? Isn't he our heavenly father? Can't he look after us? Didn't he promise that he wouldn't leave us nor forsake us? The inference there is that no matter what happens, I won't leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you. I'll be there. You see, we limit God in our mind and our imaginations and our, our thinking. We limit what we think can happen. We bring everything down to the point where I only know what, if I kick that ball, it'll hit that wall. And that's where we limit it. But you never know. You never know the impact that something you do can have on someone else's life. You never know how, what God can do with that and take it beyond. My dad loves this, this poem, although he's never, ever, ever in his life read the entire poem to me. He's only ever read two lines. But when I was thinking of this message, this came to me. It says, if you think, if you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win, but you think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. If you think you'll lose, you're lost. For out, of the world, for out in the world we find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of the mind. If you think you're outclassed, you are. You've got to think high to rise. You've got to be sure of yourself before you can ever win a prize. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. Okay, yes, that's a, you know, not a godly poem, but the scriptures do say, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And if you start to think and feed the fear and feed the doubt, feed the unbelief, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think. If you keep doing that, you'll never do it. You'll be right. We are the people of God, citizens of heaven, called by his name, and he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. Let's get on to verse 10. See, these Bibles, are gr they're absolutely great. But see, whenever they don't have the numbers down the one side, it really confuses me. <laughs> <laughs> Verse number 10, it says, So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter. When they started to walk in faith, confidence, let's go suddenly, let's ascend unto, unto the enemy. Then God got involved. See, whenever, God come, whenever we're going in the purposes of God, we're moving in his purposes, then God comes alongside. God gets involved and he can do a mighty work. He can do things that are beyond our imaginations. He can lead us in ways that we didn't uh, imagine. The children of Israel here had started to move and started to act <clears throat> in the way that God had wanted them. That partnership between God and man, God has his part to play, but Israel had the responsibility to start to move. They had the responsibility to be involved as well. <coughs> just as the children of Israel could not just sit outside the promised land and wait for it miraculously, all of the enemies to disappear, but they had to actually cross the Jordan themselves. They are the ones who had to get involved. God promised them the promised land, but God expected them to do their part. You don't see Paul in the New Testament sitting outside Ephesus or Corinth saying, thank you, Lord, for that city. I claim that city. No, that's not, that's not how God works. God wanted Paul to go into the city. He wanted him to preach the message, to take the message to them. See, God wants us to come, along, to come alongside him in cooperation for his calling and his ministry. Now I'm thinking now in terms that are bigger than my own personal life. Not my own wee situation. I'm thinking in terms of us corporately. I'm thinking in terms of us as, as, as the people of God in this town and in this country. 
that God wants us to do things and to go places to do things and he comes alongside and he gets involved and he can take what we think is a five small loaves and two small fishes and when he comes alongside, suddenly it becomes a feast. It becomes a banquet. He does so much more. And that's what happened in this case. He discomforted the enemy and slew many of them with a great slaughter. God got involved in the details. He got involved. And this is all part of that growing process on our part going from immaturity to maturity, where we accept. See, maturity is all about accepting responsibility, not divorcing ourselves of responsibility. There's a point where we have to get involved, where we have to get our hands dirty and go down to, sorry, you're, you're the best example tonight. <laughs> go down to women's aid or go to, go to whatever it is and get involved and outreaches and thinking of Ruth as well down there. And get, get, get involved in things and doing what we can where the opportunity presents itself. Sometimes that's the only call. There's an opportunity. That's enough for me. I'm going to do it. But when God gets involved and we get involved in God, with God, in partnership in this ministry, in this life, then amazing things happen. He delights it when we come into agreement with his word and his promises. He delights. Oh, these people trust me. Oh, they're, they're, they're confident in me. They're confident in my ability. They're confident in my promises. They're confident in my word. They're confident in everything I said, I will do, I will do. Can you, can you imagine how much delight that brings to God's heart? Whenever he has people who are confident in him, trusting in him. I'm thinking of, you know, uh, Ferns and Aaliyah jumps into his arms, blindly jumps into his arms. Oh, I'm sure that makes, him, it makes his heart smile. Oh, she, she trusts me enough to catch her. And that's what, that's what it's like for Father, Father God. He just loves it whenever we believe him and act upon what he's told us already. And we step out on it. And it says in verse 11, following on, he's discomforted them. He started to kill them. And verse 11, it says, and as it happened, as they fled before Israel and were on the descent to Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died there. Why hailstones? That's, uh, uh, hailstones was an odd one. I sort of had to think about this for a minute. He cast down hailstones. God is in the business of destroying anything else that exalts itself against his name. He's in the business of it. Remember the 10 plagues of Egypt, how those were symbolic of, of the, the, the Egyptian gods. Each one of them corresponded with some sort of deity that the, Israelite, that the Egyptians worshipped and obviously the Israelites would have been exposed to. And the 10 plagues showed how the gods of Egypt were irrelevant and un, <laughs> it didn't exist. So God destroyed any confidence the people had in the gods of Egypt. Here they are moving into the promised land and he casts hailstones on the enemies. Baal or Baal was one of the gods, was the, their major god, and he was the god of the weather, god of hail, god of storms and things like that there. So not only is God telling them that I've destroyed the gods before you, I'm destroying the gods behind you, but I'm destroying the ones before you. you know, and God's, God's a great way of doing that. Just keeping us focused on him, keeping his people focused focused on him, on his ability. Because as I said, we're goldfish. What's the latest fad in town? What's the latest thing I can Google? What's the latest YouTube video I can find? You know, and we get caught up in it and we get distracted. And it's so easy to do that. And God's in the business of destroying those things and bringing his people back to the point where we focus on him and remember that he is God. Amen. Remember I said at the beginning, as a, as a father would have the plans and sometimes he nudges, you know, he nudges us gently back into his plans and his purposes. Sometimes he does it really quickly. Sometimes he just nudges us. Just get it back into focus. Get us back on the path. Get us back working and moving in the way that he wants us to work and move. Coming into partnership with him is a wonderful thing. He does amazing things. Verse number 12 then, it says... That, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon over the valley of Ajalon. Wow. This wouldn't have been my first prayer. I wouldn't have said, you know, tell you what, you're doing such a good job, Lord. 
hold this on so I can get involved. I'd have, I'd have said, Lord, let the hail come faster. But he, 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 the faith, the confidence, the assurance that he had in God, it's remarkable. He was so confident that God was involved, God was on his side, and God was going to help them that he, he made a prayer like this here. Joshua had, sta- Joshua had started to move. He had received the promise from God that I'll defeat this enemy for you, which had led to his faith, and he acted upon it. They moved suddenly, and they charged in, which led to God's involvement, which led to judge boldness to ask for more. Which led to his boldness to ask for more. Lord, you've done this for me. I'm happy I'm going to camp here. That's all I need. No, that wasn't enough wasn't enough. He's like, you know what, God, I really do believe you are with us. I really do believe that you're, you're, you've got a purpose, and I do believe that you want this done, and that this is great, and I do believe in you, God. Let's go further. It's not faith. Can you, can you picture it? You know what? The work's not done. Let's keep going. We haven't, we haven't got there yet. Let's keep going. Lord God, hold the sun and the moon in his place, and let's go. Let's give us a wee bit more time. I've got a bit more time. I can do a bit more. That's confidence. That's faith. I tell you, it just blows your mind. Why? Lord, I wouldn't even have thought that prayer. Let me ask you, I'm, I'm, I'm no, I, mean, I actually, I'll be honest. I wouldn't have thought, I thought Joshua was very confident in his faith in God, but this is a level of faith I didn't expect from Joshua. Really? Abraham, Moses, definitely. Definitely Moses, you know, Moses, you know, but Joshua, confidence in God, confidence that God was going to be involved. You know, it reminds you actually of Elijah. It says in 1 Kings 17, where Elijah called for a drought, prophesied there's going to be a drought. It doesn't say that God told him there was going to be a drought. It actually, if you look into it, it actually, he was quoting, he was relying on the promise or the, the threat, I should say, or the judgment from God in Deuteronomy 11, which said, if my people turn from me, I'm, one of the things he's going to do is a drought. And he had confidence. He knew God's character and he was able to step out on it. He knew God's word and he was able to make a stand. Now, God hadn't said he was going to stop the moon and the sun, but he knew that God had a work to do and daylight was wasting. Lord, hold your, horse, hold your horses. I need to get stuck in here. We don't know what way it works. And I'm not going to get caught up in any science of it. But you know what? God stopped the moon and the sun. And he helped them finish the work. Glory to God. And it says in verse 13, it says, So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. <coughs> Praise the Lord. You know, this is the last miracle that's mentioned in the book of Joshua. The last miracle that's mentioned. It's remarkable. It's a wonderful story how God has got his people and they're working in partnership towards God's purpose for their lives. And they're moving in a direction that is, it, we can see fulfilled later on. We do not serve a God who always works independently. Yes, 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 yes. God is God. And God still acts sovereignly. And God does, still does things mightily by his power and by his hand. But he also acts with his people in conjunction with his people. And those who are called by my name, if those who are called by my name will humble themselves. Hang on, that means it's contingent. Adam in the Garden of Eden said, God caused the animals to pass before Adam. And then Adam named them. God didn't give any of them names. Adam named them. It was in conjunction, coming together. Noah was given the plans for the ark, and God caused the animals to come to the ark. But Noah was the one who had to get the splinters. Noah was the one who had to lift the hammer and nails. Noah had his part to play. The children of Israel at Jericho, they're the ones who had to march around the city. They're the ones who had to spend seven days there doing their business. And then it was God who brought down the walls. When they did their part, he did his part. And the gospel itself. What a mighty partnership that we have with God. Not in salvation. Don't get me wrong. That is entirely of God. That is entirely of God. But it says through the foolishness of preaching, God has designed for men to be saved. 
through the foolishness of preaching for the message of the gospel to be spread. He didn't give that right to an angel. Gabriel didn't come down and preach to everyone. It's, God has given us that responsibility to step out, to be, the, be God's mouthpiece, to be his hands, to be his feet, to do our part. And then God comes along and he does his part, the supernatural part, which we cannot do. He comes and he goes beyond, exceedingly above and beyond that we can ever think. So this is a special relationship the children of Israel had, and it's a special relationship that we have. We have that same special relationship. So first of all, we had the enemies feared. They feared the children of Israel. So the enemy feared. The enemy attacked. God co confirmed to them that he was with them. Praise the Lord. I could, God is with us. God is with us. We haven't been forsaken. Glory to God. <laughs> so they confirmed God is with you. They acted upon God's word. They moved suddenly. God discomforted the enemy. God alone is the true, one true and living God, destroying the gods of the, of the, the Canaanites. Joshua then walked further in faith. He had confidence in what God's character and God's promises and God's ability. Above that, God's ability, he had confidence that God had the ability to stop the sun and the moon. So working in, par in partnership with God brings miraculous results. And I want to finish with just the next verse, verse 14. So Joshua 10, 14. And there has been no day like that before it or after that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. What a promise. What a statement. There's never been a day like it. God wants to work with us. He wants us to work with him in his vision, in his mission, in his plan, in this place to develop this, this, our, ourselves, develop our outreaches, to work and get the message out, to see people transformed, to see lives changed, to see people who are bound and, and, and uh, wrapped up in things going to be delivered. God wants to see us set, help to take the message to people who need to be set free. And we come together with God in his plans and his purposes. Amazing things happen. And he's promised that he will not leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.